0: Father, once again, we come before you and we ask that you would take this time that we've designated to the study of your word. Help us to uh, examine it and to be careful with your word. And Lord, that you would challenge us from it, strengthen us, and encourage us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Bibles, and we're going to look tonight uh, at the life of Elisha. Not to be confused with Elijah. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you will remember, in 1 Kings chapter 18, this was the uh, high water mark, we might say, the, the pinnacle of Elijah's ministry there on Mount Carmel as the... Uh, fire of God came down and the uh, prophets of Baal were slain and uh, it had not rained for three and a half years and all of a sudden the rain starts uh, when the people uh, turn at least a little bit toward God and uh, Jezebel says to Elijah, God do more to me if you're not like one of my prophets by tomorrow at this time, you've got 24 hours to live. Now it's interesting, Elijah was willing to stick his finger in Ahab's face, but when Jezebel started talking, Elijah started running. And he went all the way through the land of Israel, through the land of Judah, Uh, down into the Arabian desert and climbed up a mountain and hid in a cave. And uh, uh, an old-time preacher, J. Frank Norris, said that God was giving Elijah a rest. I'm not quite sure about that. Elijah wanted to quit. And here's the first mention of Elisha is in 1 Kings chapter 19. And in verse 16, well, let's uh, uh, go to verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nipshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Sapphat, of Abel, Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that he that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha uh, slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So we have God coming to Elijah, and he says, Okay, you want to quit? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to uh, anoint Hazel to be the next king in Syria. Jehu will be the next king in Israel. And Elisha is going to take your spot. Now, where did Elijah go? Let's read down here. Verse 19, So he departed thence and found Elisha. Isn't it interesting? Uh, It was going to be somewhere around anywhere from 10 to 15 years that Elijah was still going to be around. And you know what Elisha was going to do for all that time? Well, we'll have a couple of references. He was going to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was just going to be his servant. He was going to minister him. In fact it would actually be Elisha who would fulfill the anointing of Jehu uh, many years later to take uh, the kingdom from the house of Ahab. And it would be Elisha that would uh, prophesy to Hazel and explain to him that he would become the next king. But we have a calling here. Now... Uh, when, when God uses a man, He calls him. Uh, he called Elisha. You know, Elisha didn't have much of a choice here. If he was going to obey God, he was going to submit to God's direction in his life. And God still calls people. No, it's not an audible voice Uh, Sometimes it would be easy if there was an Elijah walking by, throwing his mantle on you, as he would do in the next few verses here. Uh, But God still calls men. Uh, There's no question about that. And uh, I remember uh, years ago uh, when my wife and I were just dating and uh, preparing for marriage, and she got very nervous, and she came to me and she said, Huh? I'm not sure I'm called to New York City like you are. And I'll tell you what, I was scrambling. Uh, I said, this is not good. Uh, I I believed that it was the Lord's will that we got married. And guess what? It was. And uh, But the simple truth was, she had a question and a right question. And I began to pray and say, well, no Lord, what am I going to tell her? And said, ah, you know what? God does not call women to ministry. I said, if, you can, if this doesn't sound too arrogant, I said, really, I'm your calling. And she said, I don't have a problem with that. And I said, Woo, there we go. <laughs> and, and that's the way it ought to work, amen? And God called Elisha. It was God's design And I want to tell you something. History is silent as to what Elisha was doing until Elijah showed up. We don't know what he was doing, where he was. We know that when Elijah finds him, he's out in the field doing something that was basically unprecedented in his day. I mean, 12 yoke of oxen. How many of you have ever seen a real yoke of oxen? Uh, Several years ago, we took uh, our children up the Hudson River there. It was Phillipsburg Manor. Uh, It's set up as a a Dutch settlement from the 1600s. And uh, they had a yoke of oxen pulling a plow there. I mean, it was just... Uh, I think that was my first time, get up close and personal. Uh, I'll tell you, oxen are huge, Uh, and they do not move very fast. But in those days, to have one yoke of oxen was to be what we would call uh, middle class, to be doing fairly well, but here we have... Elisha's family and his servants there, 12 yoke of oxen, and Elisha himself is on the end with the last one. Now, I kind of like that guy. You know what? He wasn't afraid to work, he wasn't an administrator. He got down in there and got his hands dirty and he was working, and Elijah comes by. And as he was plowing, it says, And Elijah passed by, verse 19, and cast his mantle upon him. Now, it's interesting how much has been made of that mantle. In fact, even to this day, if you have some uh, leader, even in corporate America, uh, or great politician, uh, they'll they'll say, Who's going to take up the mantle of... Well, that's right from your Bible here. Uh, And it's interesting how people rewrite history. Uh, They say that the casting on of the mantle was part of the adoption process of sons. And I I think they had it backwards. I think the adoption process that they're talking about was copied from this story, not the other way around, as is often the case in the Bible. Uh, Elijah was, uh, We, when we read about John the Baptist, we find out about Elijah. He was a wild man. He lived in the wilderness. He was... Uh, uh, not clothed with the with the normal clothing of the people. I mean, he was something to behold. And when Ahab saw him afar off, he was scared. And here comes uh, this wild man out of the wilderness walking up and he just takes his outer wrapping and he throws it on him and keeps right on walking. And of course, Elisha stops immediately and says, listen, I need to take care of a few things. And Elijah's like, what have I done to you? Uh, don't worry about it. Whatever you're, if, if you're going to follow God, then you're going to catch up to me. Uh, there's no, no evidence here that Elijah even turned around to acknowledge Elisha. He just kept right on going. But Elisha said, if I'm going to serve the Lord, he takes that yoke of oxen while they're plowing the field and he kills them. And he boils them. I don't know what boiled oxen would taste like. I imagine it would be tough as shoe leather, I would think. Um, I actually have had oxtail soup, but uh, the, uh, Mrs. Kim made it, but it took her three days to boil that soup down to where you could enjoy uh, the, the flavor and the meat. But uh, I don't think Elisha took three days to get this done. But he boiled those oxen, killed them. He had a feast, a sacrifice, we might say, to the Lord. And he left all. It says, and he returned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now, how would you like to be Mr. I'm getting it done uh, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen? That's big business. I mean, they were uh, working here. They were producing. They were selling. uh, Just to be able to afford to maintain this many yoke of oxen tells us that Elisha's family was fairly well to do. And he leaves it all leaves all the activity. And what was Elijah doing at this time? Not much. We don't hear from him hardly at all until we get to the end of the book and he's taken away. And so we've got a period of 10 or 12 years here where Elisha is basically, what do you want for breakfast? What do you want for lunch? Uh, When's the laundry need taken care of? Does that sound exciting to anyone? I'll I'll tell you, there's always somebody standing around to get the spotlight. But there isn't a lot of people standing around to do the work that needs to be done that nobody else wants to do. And that's where we pick up Elisha. And... One of the reasons why I like this man so much is because he just served. In fact, when we get to Second Kings, after he's assumed the mantle of Elijah literally and is carrying it around with him, he's still known. Oh, that was Elijah's servant. I mean, how would you like to be known? After Elijah's gone, he went to heaven you're the, you're the main prophet. You're the one that everybody looks to and they just come and they... Oh yeah, there, there's Elisha. He was the guy that poured water on the hands of Elijah. Uh, Elijah's gone. Maybe, maybe Elisha will do. That's what people thought of him. And we have nowhere in the Bible that Elisha was upset with that. He just served the Lord. And um, let's go to uh, the end of the book here. And we're now in 2 Kings chapter 1. And this is all the calling of Elisha. He is just patient. He is just serving. And we get to 2 Kings chapter 2. And uh, Elijah is giving Elisha the runaround, we might say. He said, God told me to go here. Elisha says, I'm going. He says, God told me to go here. Elisha says, I'm still going. And finally we get to chapter 2 and verse 9, after they've made this circuit halfway around the land of Israel. It says, And it came to pass when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee, And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Now, I've heard an awful lot of preaching about that double portion. But I want to read to you a verse. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, talking about a father, but the father, but he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For the, he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Now, what this verse was saying was a father that uh, in those days people often had more than one wife and the, and the father would not be able to disinherit an elder son for Uh, A favor of of a different wife, his firstborn son had the right of the firstborn. That right was a double portion. The the father would divide his living into basically thirds. Two-thirds would go to the eldest son. The other two-thirds would be then divided among the rest of the heirs of the family. So what Elisha was asking for, I've been serving you. God has set me aside to take your place. I am heir to your room as a prophet. Therefore, I want the right of inheritance. That's where he got the idea of the double portion. It wasn't some fantastic thing that Elisha made up on his own. And, by the way, Elijah was a prophet. What inheritance did he have? His mantle? I I don't think Elijah's leather girdle would... I bet... I'm just thinking with my imagination that Elijah was one of those great big guys and Elisha was just not... He could have taken uh, Elijah's coat and wrapped it around him twice. But he said, listen, God has put me in the position to take your room. Therefore, I want your inheritance. The only thing that Elijah had to give was the Spirit of God that was in him. I like Elisha. He had his eyes fixed on what was valuable. Amen? He had his eyes fixed on what was true. He said, if God's called me to be the prophet, then uh, maybe I should inherit this. It was in no way, uh, I've actually heard preachers preach this, that he said, I want to be twice the prophet that you are. That wasn't it at all. Any more than a son who inherited his father's Uh, uh, lands and, and, and wealth would say, I'm going to be twice the man that my father was because I have a double portion. He just said, listen, I'm following in your footsteps. I want the inheritance that would be mine if I were your son. Very simple. And one thing that we might add is... Elisha, in essence, really was saying if I'm going to fill your shoes it's going to take twice the work that God did in you because I don't have what you have. Now that's a humble spirit. And that's a spirit that God will bless and will use. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing. But really, what else did Elijah have to give? And he said, nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it's interesting, Elijah wasn't going anywhere. They'd already done all the traveling that they were going to do. We we don't have time to cover all of the passage about this man's life. or We would be here several weeks. They were just walking and talking. You know what? I think Elisha was doing then what he had been doing for the last, let's just say, 12 years. Ministering to Elijah. Then God took... Elijah, and that mantle that he wrapped himself in to keep warm at night fell from the chariot of fire, and Elisha picks it up, and he is just about ready to do his first real miracle as a prophet. He walks back to the Jordan River, and he's so full of faith. He says, waters be parted, right? No. He says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And hits it with Elijah's mantle. If I'm supposed to have this double spirit, let the Lord God of Elijah work. And what did the sons of the prophets do? He looks like Elijah now. Even though he was six inches shorter and bald. We don't know that for sure, but we do know he was bald and he was demeaned by other people. And so he just... You know, there are some men, they just walk into a room and everybody looks at them. There are other guys that walk into a room and everybody just looks the other way, right? Uh, They could walk in blowing a trumpet and nobody pay a bit of attention to them. And I'm afraid that's where Elisha was in the scale of human things. But God was going to use him in an incredible way. And so, what we're going to do tonight, just for the sake of movement, And came through here, there were uh, many miracles that Elisha did. And first of all, we're going to deal with the miracles that were connected to the sons of the prophets. Now, these sons of the prophets were, I've heard all kinds of equivalents. Uh, They were Bible college students, but... uh, We'll get to chapter 6 and find out one of them was old enough to be married and have children and pass on. And I mean, sometimes that happens, but these weren't men who were just men in training. These were men who had dedicated their lives to serve the Lord. Uh, They were the local preachers that were in the area preaching and teaching God's message. Uh, They didn't have the printed Word of God, everywhere like we do today. And so these were the the local prophets. And it was one way to get in touch with the big prophet. And now Elisha was that big prophet. And he had a lot of dealings with these sons of the prophets. And they were watching him in chapter 2 and verse 14 when he smoked the waters and walked over dry land in verse fifteen, and when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah just rest on Elisha, and they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And then we get down to verse nineteen. And the men of the city, and, and I believe that these were still the sons of the prophets there Uh, They were living there. It says, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, naught, excuse me, and the ground barren. He said, the water's bad. I remember years ago we were visiting a church and talking about the need here in New York City and we were invited over to a man's house and his house was right next to the Schoharie River. And he said, you've got to be careful in the house when you turn on the water. He said, we built this home and we had the well dug and natural gas seeped into the well water. He said, the water can actually catch fire in our house. And, I mean, it was, it was bad business. And uh, all of the um, faucets, I mean, he was a fairly well-to-do man. Uh, the best faucets, and they were all corroded like you just dipped them in a bucket of acid because of all the chemicals that were in the water. And nothing they could do would fix it. Well, that's not new. It was right here. Just outside the city of Jericho, they were there right by the Jordan River, and the water was bad. It was poison. It killed the plants that grew there. And I will warn you, Uh, I don't know if we have any wilderness-seeking people here, but you better be careful traveling in the wilderness. Just because the water's out there in the wilderness and nobody's around doesn't mean it's always good to drink. Uh, You need to check that. You need to study it. There's been more than one wanderer in the wilderness that has succumbed to bad water. I mean, died. Uh, because they got sick and couldn't get back out, or because of the chemicals actually just poisoned them. And and Elisha says, bring me a cruise of salt. He throws it in. It says the water's healed. And the writer here in the book of 2 Kings tells us, um, it says, verse 22, So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. He said, the waters were healed unto this day. Now, the book of Second Kings was a compilation. Uh, it was more than one author because the time period uh, covers uh, many, many years, more than the lifespan of a, nor- uh, of a single human being. And Uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that was added to the text. That may have been the last guy said, Hey, he's reading, he says, Hey, it's still good. And uh, the Holy Spirit wanted that put in there so we could understand that when Elisha did this miracle, it was so the sons of the prophets would have a place to live and enjoy. And we get to chapter 4. And let's just run through these here. There was this cry, verse 1, Now, there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. And we'll go through this very quickly. And this is another reason why you need to come to Sunday school on Sunday morning or through the Bible time. is because we take time to go through these passages very carefully then. But uh, tonight we need to move very quickly. She just comes and she says, listen. My husband was faithful to God and he died. He, he wasn't punished for his sins. It was just his time to die and the bill collector's here and he's going to take my sons into slavery because I don't have enough money to pay my bills. And I love Elisha's answer. He says, what shall I do for thee? What hast thou in thine house? You know, God's not going to use something you don't have. He's not your fairy godmother. He's not just going to wave a magic wand and say, What do you got? She said, The only thing I got is a little oil. God's used oil before. Read the story of Elijah. He said, Okay, get your sons out there. Let's put them to work. I like this part. And he says, You tell them to go borrow every empty pot in the village and bring it into your house and close the door. And then when you got every empty pot you can get your hands on, he says, pour the oil out of your little bottle and fill the big bottles. Now, you know what? That normally don't work that way. Amen? I mean, usually you use the big bottle to fill the little one, not the other way around. But Elijah was providing. She said, now we've done it. we filled them all up. Now what do I do? I wonder if Elijah was Italian. <clears throat> says sell them pay your bills and you'll have some money to live on for the rest from the excess oil that you have and then we come to his next next one and uh, of course i think this verse has been quoted in every bible college cafeteria since the beginning of bible college um is we come down to verse 38 of chapter 4, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, there was famine, and the sons of the prophet were sitting before him. And he said unto a servant, Set on a great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and he found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, For they knew them not. Now, I'll tell you, these sons of the prophets, they knew their Bible. They didn't know their horticulture. Uh, They weren't farmers. He just went out and said, hey, look at all these things. I'll bet they'll taste good and gathers them up and brings them in. Don't do that. And this is a verse that they like to quote in the school cafeteria. Oh, thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. And uh, somebody printed that last half of that verse out and put it up at the cafeteria of my college. And uh, I'm pretty sure somebody's had to do that at Heartland at least once or twice. And, um, And that's not true. It just tastes that way sometimes. But this was true. I'll tell you how they knew there were death in the pot is they were feeling pains in their inwards. You get some bad food, it doesn't take you too long to figure it out, now does it? And so, Elisha calls for a hand of meal, he throws it in, and verse 41, it says, and, and, But he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot and said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm. In the pot, verse forty-two. The next miracle, and there came a man from uh, Baalsheshiah, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, "Given to the people that they may eat." And his servitor, this was the servant of Elisha, said, "What should I set this before an hundred men?" And he said, Give the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and leave thereof. So he said it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of Elisha. Is that what your Bible said? No, it said according to the word of the Lord. You see, when Elisha spoke, he was speaking for the Lord. Amen? And you say, well, how how do we know if someone's doing that today? Well, they're not. Unless they're quoting what's written down. This is God's Word. We don't look to men. We look to the Word of God. God's Word wasn't complete in those days. And God used men like Elisha. And so, we have... The the healing of the spring, the widow's oil, the poison food, the multiplied food, and then we get to Acts, I mean Acts first second Kings chapter six, and, and I love this story. Uh, the sons of the prophets came to Elisha, and he said, "There's so many of us, we can't live in the dormitory here. There's not enough room, and so we need a bigger space." And, and they said. and, And Elijah says, well, let's go build a bigger house. And he said, well, will you go with us? He says, okay. And so the one guy's cutting wood, and he lets the axe head get loose, and it's not the way things are. I mean, and he goes like that to swing, and the centrifugal force pulls the head right off the handle. Now, you can kill somebody. With a flying axe head. But I just love the way this story is. Here he goes. And he feels it and he looks and it goes plink, 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 plop, right into the river. And we know there were Baptists in the Old Testament. You know why? Because he says, Alas, Master, it was borrowed. I didn't have enough money to buy my own, so I went and I got it from somebody else, and now I ruined it. I'll tell you what. Loaning tools is a bad business. Unless Elisha's around. Amen. And he cut a stick, and he said, show me where it fell, and he threw in the stick, and the stick sank, and the, steel came, or the iron axe head came up and floated on the water, and he said, grab it, And I'll tell you what, uh, we could spend a lot of time on that axe head. A A lot of people lose things, special blessings that God gives them. It'll take a miracle to get it back. You know what? It's a whole lot easier just to drive in a couple extra wedges and soak it in oil overnight so the handle swells nice and you don't lose it in the first place. Amen? And, uh, So, we have the miracles with the sons of the prophets. Now we have the miracles with the Syrians. There was a lot that Elijah did with the Syrians. Of course, the most famous, of course, was Naaman. Naaman is the head of the Syrian army. He has captured a little servant girl out of the land of Israel, takes her back, and Naaman develops leprosy. This little servant girl says to Mrs. Naaman, If Mr. Naaman were in Israel, there's a prophet of God there. He'd heal him. And you know what? Naaman believed the word of the little slave girl. That is amazing to me. And he shows up in Samaria at the palace of the king and he's with a letter from the king of Syria saying, Here is my servant so you can recover him of his leprosy. You know, ben made a few really major mistakes. He thought that if there was such a man that could heal leprosy, the king of Israel would certainly know who he was and be following him. What a mistake. The king of Israel didn't care less about Elisha, hated him didn't want to serve him, didn't even know what was going on. But Naaman was healed. And then Gehazi messes everything up. Elisha was trying to show Naaman that God doesn't work on offerings. But Gehazi said, I'm going to get me some. This guy isn't getting off for free. Let me tell you something. Gehizai got a whole lot more than he bargained for, didn't he? He got the leprosy of Naaman along with the riches. You know, sometimes God will let you keep things. But he'll add a curse with them. And you'd wish you'd never touched it in the first place. Amen? We get to chapter 6. And the king of Syria, after his Generals been healed by the power of God is plotting and planning to destroy Israel and sending out guerrilla bands. And Elisha's there saying, uh, message to the king, the Syrians are going to be in such and such a place, such and such a time. Don't go there. And so the king of Syria, after five or six attempts, and you can see this top secret plans not to be opened until you're on the battlefield, and top, top secret plans not to be opened until after the attack has begun. I mean, it gets ridiculous. And he gets all his servants around and he says, Who is the traitor? And he said, None of us, king. It's this guy named Elisha, the same one that healed Naaman. He's telling the king of Israel what you think in your bedroom in the middle of the night You can't hide anything from him. And so he says, go get him. Nice way to say thank you, wasn't it? And Elisha's servant wakes up and he sees the Syrians all around the town. I love this story. Wish we had time. Long story short, Elisha says, don't be worried. We got more on our side than they have on theirs. He said, Lord, would you just smite this army with blindness? Now they can't see. And Elisha walks out and says, who's in charge around here? He says, you're in the wrong place. Let me take you to where you need to go. And he takes them to the capital city. And there is the stubby little king of Israel going, do I kill them all? Do I kill them? Do I kill them? Now, if you were in the Syrian army, think about this. You're blind. You're led into the capital city of the enemy. Now your eyes are open. You're sitting there and the whole Israeli army is all around you and the king's standing there before this guy going, do I kill them all? Do I kill them all? And the prophet's going, no, stupid. It's in the original languages. It said you wouldn't do this to prisoners that you took. Feed them and send them home. And so he feeds them They go home, and guess what? The guerrilla bands don't come anymore. He sends the whole Syrian army to besiege the city of Samaria. Famine sets in, no food. People are resorting to horrible, horrible things. And the king finally says, it's Elisha's fault. Isn't it interesting how the king of Israel... And the king of Assyria agree that it's all Elisha's fault. I mean, everybody blames Elisha. And uh, he sends his soldiers to cut off Elisha's head, which is what the king of Syria wanted to do before. And Elisha gives a prophecy from God says, By this time tomorrow... There's going to be food in the city. And the king's servant said, Not even God could do this. And we know what happened to him, amen? The Bible says the people, in their desire to get the food, because God had scared away the entire Syrian army during the night, that in their desire to get the food, they literally mobbed this man and walked over him to his death. Then, just a little while later, Ben-Hadad, the same king that sent Naaman to be healed and did all these rotten things, he hears that Elisha's in the area and he's been real sick and he he sends his servant Hazel to, uh, to the man of God with a big present and says... Tell me whether I'm going to get better or not. And Elisha takes the opportunity to fulfill the command that God had given to Elijah way back. At this point, probably 40 years before. And he says, Ben, the dad's going to recover. The sickness is not what he's going to die of. And it says he looked at him and settled his countenance and then the old prophet began to weep. And Hazel's sitting here going, what, what's going on? And, and Elijah begins to tell him of all the horrible things that he's going to do as the king of Syria. He says, ah, I'm the next king. And he goes back and he tells Benadad, Elijah said, you're going to get better of this disease. That's not what you're going to die from. He didn't tell him that part. He says, but you're going to die anyway. And the next day, Hazel was the one who did the work, and he became the next king. We have several other miracles very quickly here. Um, The army of Israel, the army of Edom, and um, all got together and, and marched against Moab and Elijah provided water for the army and victory. There were a group of little children that came out and said, Go up, thou bald head. They were not only making fun of Elisha, they were making fun of Elijah because the idea of going up was going up to the top of the mountain to worship God. That's what they did on Mount Carmel. That's what they did in many different places, and so. And by the way, little children don't learn prejudice from themselves. They learn that from their parents. You want to punish parents? Do something to their kids. That's what happened here. You taught your children wrong. And Elisha punished the parents by punishing the children. It's a strange and sad story in the Bible. We have the widow of the city of Shuman, who saw Elisha and all of his passing bys and built a little house for him. It's interesting that Gehazi saw her need and her heart's desire that Elisha didn't see. She was married to an older man and had no child. And he gave her a child. And then the child died. Probably about 10 or 12 years later, and Elisha brought that child back to life. And God used those miracles that after a seven-year famine, Gehazi was telling stories to the king, and guess who walks in? He says, well, here's the widow that I was telling you all the stories about. And here's her son that was raised from the dead. And the king used, the, uh, God used that in her life to provide for her and, and her family after the famine. God had the grandson of Ahab and promised him deliverance. As he was laying on the bed, dying. He put his hands on the hands of the young king and he shot an arrow through the window. And he said, that's the arrow of deliverance. He says, now take the arrows out of your quiver and and smite them on the ground. And the king hit him three times. And he stopped. You could just see the old man quiver. He said, what's wrong with you? He said, you should have kept smiting them until the arrows were broken. He said, now you're only going to win three battles. And he did win three battles. And Elisha has credit that no one else does. He's the only one that performed a miracle when he was dead. No no one else in the Bible did that. He was dead. He was buried. The bands of Syria, the three victories had run their uh, course. And the Syrians were now having the upper hand... And they were taken to a man to the cemetery to bury him. And they saw the bands of the Syrian. They said, here's a tomb quick. They opened it up, threw the guy in. And it was Elisha's tomb. It says they let him down and his bones touched the bones of Elisha. And he got back up. Hey guys, get me out of here. I mean, they can't even dream this stuff up in the horror movies. This was real. It was the man that God had made Elisha. He didn't quit working even after he was dead. I, I like that. He was a humble man. But he wasn't willing to let God's name in the worship of God be demeaned and cursed by a bunch of little kids who had been taught by their parents. To despise God and His holiness. He had the, uh, the uh, that part of the Syrian army that had come to capture him blinded. Led them into the city of Samaria and had them totally surrounded and then led them back out safely. You talk about a man who has power and yet refused to use it in any way other than what God said. I'll tell you what, I like Elisha. There's a lot of things in his life That we need to understand. And most of Elisha's miracles were very practical miracles. They provided for the sons of the prophets and their families. They made so that people would have something to eat. And so that the people of Israel would have deliverance and protection. And a blessing upon the house of the woman who blessed Elisha. He was not dynamic. He was not all of those things that we may desire most. But no one can argue that he didn't get a double portion and that he did not fill the room of his predecessor with a longer and much fuller ministry than Elisha had. I mean, Elijah. Elijah. Elijah influenced the king, but Elisha influenced the sons of the prophets. And when he was gone, guess who was still teaching and preaching to the people? Those sons of the prophets that he had trained. Tell you what, I like Elisha. How about you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask that as we just review the life of this man tonight, Lord, so many facts that we just had to scrape over the very surface of things and not spend a lot of time into the deeper meaning, but a life that was just full of simple service to the Lord. We ask that You would encourage us as we look at this life. And Lord, that You would put within our hearts to aspire to being a servant like Elisha. In Your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, just have the piano play. If you need to come and pray, take a few moments.